Hi, everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is the latest in our weekly update series with colleagues Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Ian. This is Reed Hayes, and we're joined, as always, by our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And today we're going to kind of do a quick trip around the world, talk about things that might be helpful um, as you put together and operate detective schemes and programs. And uh, I'm just going to talk just a minute about COVID-19 and uh, infections continue with new, newer and newer variants that are being discovered as uh, infected people uh, have some of their infections uh, studied and examined. Uh, increasingly, the virus does look transmissible, which is, of course, to be expected and not particularly virulent or dangerous um, uh, compared to past variants, especially Delta. Um, but nevertheless, we're still running in the United States, just over 100,000 reported infections daily uh, compared to about 10% of that last year at this time uh, is my understanding from looking at the literature and um, looking at some of the therapies. Uh, many, many are in trials still. Um, and we're seeing with one particular treatment, evidently, uh, they're seeing there's some rebound effect. In fact, Dr. Tony Fauci himself uh, not only got infected with uh, COVID-19 disease from the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but also experience took, evidently was administered uh, the therapy, and uh, two weeks later, roughly, I think they, you experience a rebound effect where you might be experiencing symptoms again. Uh, so, you know, th- these are still early days, believe it or not, even though we're into over two years of dealing with this virus to our understanding and knowledge. Um, but just notes of interest there. Looking too at the vaccination front, I thought it would be interesting to look at uh, what's going on in the United States where we've got closing in on 300 million Americans that have experienced at least one dose at this point of a vaccine. Um, And again, we've talked about there are many, many more vaccines uh, being tested as we speak. Right now we've got in the phase one trials, there are still now they're back up to 54 phase one trial um, co- coronavirus vaccine candidates, 46 in phase two, and uh, now 50, up to 50 in phase three testing. And bear in mind, again, there are uh, 12 fully approved vaccines globally and 21 that have some sort of emergency use authorization uh, due to a global pandemic. Um, so that front continues. Um, And we're looking at also, by the way, globally, the number of vaccinated people now uh, is just about 5 billion that are listed as fully vaccinated, depending on the the course of the vaccine. One, two, three, four, five injections, depending on what it is or doses. Um, And then we're looking at about 
5.3 billion that have administered, been administered at least one dose. So we see people continue to get vaccinated um, for the vaccine. So in addition to natural immunity, we're seeing that. Now, again, there are, there are growing numbers. Still, still uh, it looks like a minority, certainly, but there are those that experience breakthrough infections have been naturally infected, sometimes even more than once uh, naturally infected by coronavirus uh, that, again, get it again. Um, and the same thing with vaccinated individuals as well, including those that have had one, two, or two boosters. So uh, we can see this is a sneaky, uh, very capable, unfortunately, virus, but it's there. Um, research continues on are there better and better vaccines that will reduce infection likelihood. Uh, and again, many people in some countries and some areas are still masking up maybe at the 30 to 50 percent level, it looks like from what I can see. Um, moving on, we're again excited about the uh, impact conference, the LPRC 2022 version. Um, and so again, for all the, the best news, I would send a note if anybody's interested again to operations at lpresearch.org. Uh, and we will put you on the connect uh, e-newsletter. We're always putting out great information. Diego Rodriguez is the editor of the connect. Um, and it's really a very visually uh, attractive and easily used format. Again, a lot of big pictures, small words, great links to new research that's coming out of our team almost weekly now, the research in actions that's either new or current research, recent research, and then some that we've gone to our archives that has either been updated uh, and re-released or doesn't need to. It's, it appears to be very timeless type of information. So you're seeing uh, about 50 uh, reports emerge from our team in the form of RIAs or research in actions. Uh, but also on the website, lpresearch.org, or via the Connect e newsletter, uh, there, that's where we've got our summits listed, uh, violent crime working group, obviously the supply chain protection coming up as well in Philadelphia, uh, and then impact the first week in October. Uh, I would strongly encourage everybody that's thinking about coming to and participating in the LPRC impact in Gainesville, get registered now. There's not, there may not be a lot of seats left. Um, that based on the registration levels that we're seeing. Um, going over now, talking a little bit about some of the research uh, I've mentioned before, uh, the active shooter killer um, assailant research. While we've conducted other research when, uh, in the past, in, in, including in 2019 and 2020, um, and, and part of 2021, uh, the 2022 version we got with now, it looks like 11 retailers is what we had on the call. Um, and going through what they're doing to earlier and earlier detect potential threats. Uh, we see with some of the latest horrors going on, we had one just over the weekend here, the 4th of July weekend, an individual who was shooting into a gathering in Illinois near the Chicago area. Um, at, the, at the time that I'm recording this here on Tuesday, July 5th, 2022, we're talking about at least six that have died from wounds inflicted by this, this individual. Um, as well as at least 30 that were wounded. Um, but a lot of social media posting by this character, YouTube videos, uh, claims to be a rapper um, of some description. And uh, in there, there are all types of drawings. We've got videos, there are social media postings, there are utterances around others. So how do we better sense and pick up on some of these 
threats or ideation language, um, some of the messaging, some of the coordination or enablement, some of the acquisition of tools they might need uh, to carry out harming others. So that's really what we're trying to do in this particular project. The body-worn camera, the planning's done. Uh, we're going to be working with four types or four manufacturers, uh, body-worn cameras that we're excited about. We've got Axis, uh, their version, uh, and they've got a, a white and a black version, uh, including uh, a sensor that you can move up more on your shoulder. Uh, we're looking at Axon's uh, current offering in a body-worn camera. Uh, we're also looking at Motorola's current offering in a body-worn camera. And then finally, uh, with a Reveal Media version, Reveal Media is out of the UK and has extensive deployment, uh, including not just law enforcement and retailing itself uh, in the UK. Recording, coordinating with uh, LPRC retailer members that are in uh, Australia and New Zealand as well. So a ton of research going on. We're interviewing for new research scientists. We've got other things going on uh, in the research area we'll talk about later. So if I might, let me turn it over to Tony D'Onofrio, friend and colleague. Tony, if you could take it away. Thank you very much, Reed. And again, excellent update on both COVID and what's going on in this crazy world of ours. Uh, let me start uh, this week. And actually, I'm going to focus this entire week on an update uh, on an article that I just published following NRF Protect which summarizes the latest uh, on global retail sales, e-commerce, physical store trends, consumer challenges, and some of the headwinds that are ahead uh, from uh, retailers. And again, you can find this article on multiple of my platforms, including LinkedIn, starting today. I opened this article because it was in Cleveland, the uh, home of the Rock, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and, and actually, it includes the world rocking in uh, the retail world, which is actually um, from an actual rock song is the actual title. So and uh, the picture the, and it actually started because I took a picture in front of a guitar that actually said retail rocks. And so let me tell you a little bit in terms of why retail rocks. Uh, let's go back to 2021, which confirmed that all consumers are resilient and continue to shop brands. In May that year, uh, eMarketer forecasted that retail sales globally would rise 6% to just over $25 trillion, uh, which was a significant comeback from 2020. But by the end of the year, actually, that forecast was too low. 21, 2021 global retail sales, sales grew 9.7%, reaching total spending at just over $26 trillion. So think about that. We've added a trillion dollars more than what was projected, and that's a lot of money. 2021 in-store sales grew a healthy 8.2% globally to just 21 trillion, which was more than was spent in 2019, and that was led by pent-up demand from in-person shopper, shoppers accelerated uh, uh, by two full years. When the eMarketer research was published in January, brick and mortar sales were projected to grow 2.6 to 3.4%, for the remainder of the forecast out to 2025. More spending is expected in physical retail than e-commerce in 2022, despite this uh, uh, slower growth rate. Uh, the, the article also talks a little bit about what's happening to online sales. 2022 will mark a major milestone worldwide with e-commerce sales crossing over $5 trillion for the first time, despite 
in 20, uh, 20, uh, in 2020, there was a major spike because we all set at home ordering of 26%, but that spike is abating. The sector will still in, enjoy double-digit growth to 2024. By 2025, e-commerce will represent nearly 24% of to total global retail sales. Some interesting stats that were I found uh, in terms of what's happening to e-commerce. There are now 7.1 million online retailers operating globally, and 25% of these under the United States. 87% of consumers now start their shopping experience online with product searches. Of that percentage, and this one shocked me, a massive 74% of consumers begin their product searches on Amazon. Gen Z has the greatest online shopping preference of any generation, with nearly 88% of, of these young generations preferring to start there. And that compares to baby boomers, which I'm one of them, but only 41% of us prefer to shop online. 73% of businesses are currently selling via social media, with that number expected to rise to 79% in the next three years. And 73% of shoppers are more likely to decide to buy an item if the shipping is free. So it gives you an idea, and that shipping cost is very high. Uh, the latest data also confirms that you really need to have both a strong e-commerce presence and also a physical uh, store presence. And, and really, you need to have both. And when it comes to year-on-year -year growth in omnichannel, which is having both strong online and brick-and-mortar presence, 61% of omni retailers in the U.S., 58% in the U.K., and 56% in Canada reported higher sales growth with a whopping 21% of omni-channel merchants in the U.S. reporting significant higher revenue, far more than the overall average. So you need to be omni-channel. The, all the research that I did also confirmed that physical stores are back and rocking again on multiple levels. As humans, we enjoy the interaction with products. 62% of consumers want to see, touch, feel, and try out items and hence choose to buy from a physical store. 61% of uh, customers want to try products in person before making a purchase, and 76% of people prefer to go to a physical store for holiday shopping. We're also increasingly leveraging technology to enhance our shopping experience for in-store purchases, and this is getting higher and higher. 82% of smartphone users consult their phone before shopping whilst doing it in store. Also, we added a whole bunch of new services that have accelerated and are here state during the pandemic. 68% of US consumers now use buy online, pick up and store or BOPIS. From the pandemic start to 2021, the share of retailer offering curbside uh, pickup has risen 44%. And this reminds me, Reed, of all the work that you're doing in the parking lot and how important that is. Now, having said that, those new services are expensive that can detract from, uh, from profitability and margin. So technology is the answer there again in terms of optimizing those journeys. Uh, and then there's good news all around. I mean, uh, each month customers spend 69% of their discretionary income in store. However, to stay relevant, uh, physical stores will need to continue to evolve and keep up with um, uh, impatient consumers. Uh, globally, 
uh, in the United States and actually in multiple other countries, 60% of consumers are not patient. So you need to have good uh, structure and service in stores because consumers will quickly move on. And my gut tells me that was accelerated by the pandemic. The top three issues that retailers are, are challenged right now are keeping and hiring good people, rising supply chain costs, and inventory and supply chain challenges. Also, inflation, as we all know, is all around us, and it doesn't look like it's going to subside anytime soon. U.S. inflation has almost quadrupled over the last uh, two years, but, uh, but for many parts of the world, it has risen even higher. In fact, the highest inflation is actually in Israel that, that had the fastest and rising inflation. And of course, the Ukraine war is also adding additional global uncertainty to the stability of global uh, markets. Now, even with all those headwinds, retail is vibrant, resilient, and I, as in the spirit of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, will continue to rock in the future. But in the near term, uh, clouds of uncertainty will increase uh, U.S. consumers, as I said last week, have already started cutting back. The biggest uh, reductions are in driving, 52%, large purchases, 47%, travel, 46%, entertainment, 50%, and clothing or other goods, 42%. And let me summarize, because it's important here at the LPRC, technology will remain a key differentiator where retail goes next. A recession is, in my view, a recession is probably ahead in 2023, but it's worth remembering ourselves that a digitally empowered consumer experience, uh, uh, really with more immersive experiences inside stores with strong brands, is what will deliver a much brighter future of retail. So headwinds ahead, but retail will continue to be bright and will continue to rock. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Oh, thank you, Reed, and thank you, Tony, as always. Well, it's been a, an, a pretty busy, busy uh, few weeks here, uh, and I'm just going to go through some risk-related things uh, and cover just uh, a couple of new things that are coming up. One is Apple made an announcement that they will be having a, something called a lockdown mode, which is actually specifically designed to stop government actors or government-based spyware. So... You probably heard me talk about, you know, uh, cyber incidents and the risk of nation state actors. And when you have these nation state actors or government backed, it's very hard to even the very best laid plan. So now, now Apple has announced this new security feature called lockdown mode. They'll roll it out with iOS 16, which is coming up uh, on the next major update of their software. And what it basically is designed for is to protect human rights. Uh, defenders, journalists, and people that are high risk. It is not designed for everyday users like the folks like you and I, uh, but what it allows you to do is once the lockdown mode is enabled, it'll allow Apple iPhones warning iOS 6 to have different features disconnected. So basically messaging, web browsing, and connectivity protection designed to block um mercenary spyware like NSO groups or Pasigui, like these very high-end spyware that generally is only government-initiated. Um, once once this is put on, it does limit some of the devices, but um, I, it, with, it, it, it isn't, nothing is hacker-proof, but it really, really, really uh, takes away the opportunity for even a very sophisticated attack. Now, 
Uh, lockdown mode will uh, basically change a lot of operating systems. Um, so there are certain things that it, it can't protect against, but it can, it can protect against a lot of things that are out there. So it's very interesting because a lot of the tech articles are reading, are putting about this is another step toward privacy. This would eliminate both good actors and bad actors in government. And what I mean by that is uh, someone that has a subpoena or a legal right to track this and, and actually see what someone's doing. This is actually something that would limit that. So uh, I think as privacy becomes more of a concern, this reminds me of the early days of the BlackBerry, where you're talking about taking very extreme measures to limit some of the use cases, but really protect the, the end user. I suspect that you'll see a lot more government issued iPhones once this comes out. Uh, it is definitely something that we're gonna see um, in the future. And I, I think there'll be a lot more there. In other news, uh, just related to cyber instances and breaches, Marriott, uh, who's had several breaches over the, the past few years, I think there were three, um, has actually come out and talked to uh, the fact that they were part they were a part of a, a failed extortion attempt. So there was a, a data leak that occurred, um, and they much like what we keep talking about in cyber instances, mold into ransomware, to to breaches, to all these other things. That's why I like to use the word cyber instance because usually there's more than one affected part. We've talked about many times here on that the the, the podcast that. Um, we're starting to see this extortion or blackmailing attempts. And so this attack or, 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 you know, attempted to extort Marriott under the threat of leaking stolen files online. The Helltel group um, did not make any payment or provide anything to the threat actor. Um, and it, you know, it was, you know, one of the things I would say is that uh, this is one of those things that we're going to continue to see as people uh, and companies have breaches or, or have cyber instances hackers and and these are hackers generally for financial gain they're they're not you know someone just trying to see the i guess what i would say growing up hackers of just trying to see if they can get in they're going after financial targets and trying to monetize them in multiple fashions i think we're going to see more of that because obviously if you the the bad guys follow the money so i think you're going to see more of these extortion threats of leaking and as i reported Earlier on the podcast, we're starting to see individual extortion where people are going to the actual end user that was a part of the breach and trying to extort them. So I think this is is the, the future of cyber instances where you have a ransomware that turns into a breach, that turns into extortion, and then they take that information and use it for phishing later. So I think there, there's, there's this evolution occurring, which, uh, which is probably what we expected, but will continue to be up and kind of challenging. Uh, on another front, there was an anonymous threat uh, um, actor. So there's someone out there who's selling several databases that can that, that claim to contain 22 terabytes. So if you think of that, um, for those of you that are familiar with video, 22 terabytes is a lot of data, a billion Chinese citizens worth of data. Uh, this is out on the dark web today and they're trying to sell it for $195,000. So as significant when you think of a billion, one billion people's worth of information, the U.S. has 334 million. So this is a tremendous, um, you know, uh, amount of information that's available, and there is sample data that they've given out to uh, that this person has given out to show that is real. Uh, they've actually gone and put 750,000 records out there containing delivery information, ID information, police call records. So this is a, a fairly significant breach. 
the 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 Shanghai National Police database was leaked to this date in 2022. This is unrelated. Um, this database contains many terabytes of data information and billions of Chinese citizen information. Um, I, there's part of that information in here. So as these hacks or events occur, they get prolific and very large. You may be asking yourself, what does that have to do with us here in the United States? It's just an indicator that, that as the cyber uh, threat landscape changes, um, it becomes, you know, a much richer, richer environment to monetize. It also, as cyber, uh, cyber bad actors, the red, the red cyber person gets success with some one attack, they generally multiply or duplicate that attra- uh, attack over other areas. So certainly something to watch out for, and certainly something to be aware of. Uh, one of the things, uh, switching gears a little bit, just to in news, uh, tech news around cell phones, I thought this was interesting. I do think this will affect retailers. Is there is a a story in TechCrunch uh, that's been hitting the the news all over the tech center about a, a, a billion dollar startup out of India that uses a lock screen on your cell phone to advertise. Uh, why do I think that's interesting? Because it talks about the evolution of advertising, and I think we're going to see that. Um, not a, a heck of a lot of data here. This is very, very common uh, in India today and in some other markets where, you know, subsidizing costs of things by advertising. But I think it's, it's a very interesting piece that there's potentially be coming to the U.S. And when we talk about the evolution of retail and advertising, who knows? It's probably too early. Who knows what the, what the impact, if anything, will be on here? But it is how we are how we are as a society evolving and allowing this data to be used. Um, the interesting point here is that Glance, you know, this company isn't really in the EU because of some of the privacy concerns that uh, are in the EU and the laws that don't allow it, but we will be able to do it in the US. And the reason I thought this story was really, really interesting is um, the FTC did a report um, not too long ago uh, about privacy and, and online usage and basically talked about the lack of regulation in the United States and how much data was available based on privacy and protecting consumer privacy and security in the U.S. and how little regulation was there. And, you know, they really did a great job in this report talking about um, the lack of regulation allowed companies um, to actually track you at a very granular level and we were allowing people to do that we you know by giving our consent and we've talked about that on the on the podcast a few times as well as if you ever did take the time to read the terms of services with a lot of a lot of these apps that we're using that are coupon based or shopping based um you know especially if you're using like a a fast food or um you know those type of of, of apps you will be probably surprised at the level of information that you are allowing them to use, including anonymized location data. Um, and so, as we talked about a couple of weeks prior on the podcast, you know, it only takes a slight change. And if we give them permission to use anonymized data, what happens if someone is nefarious or there's a mistake made to not, not make that data anonymous? So, for everybody that is a, a smartphone user, uh, my recommendation stays the same is is I'm not suggesting we don't use these apps. I, I'm a big proponent of social media. I'm a big proponent of the apps. It's understanding what you're giving up. 
Um, nothing is free. I say it all the time. If you're getting anything for free, they have to be monetizing it some way. Generally, they're monetizing it through your data, whether that means your surfing information and your behavior um, to, to provide ads or to gather data. That, that information is is definitely, definitely valid. And then switching to the last topic, which is on TikTok, it's been in the news again about the U.S. government talking about the involvement in China and the the risk of, that TikTok is posing. This is going to continue to come up, I think, and I'm not sure what the end tale will be. You know, a billion monthly users on TikTok. And if you went to TikTok's terms of services, I am a TikTok user um, you give them full access to your contacts and a whole bunch of other things on your phone. So for anybody who's listening on here that is in an investigative or uh, law enforcement capacity, understand that if you're using TikTok, whether you realize it or not, you are giving them access to the contacts on your phone. And in some cases, you may even be giving them access to photos that you're not aware of. Um, and by the, by, the, by the way, this is not done in the nefarious sector, you're giving them access to it. So I think it, it, I continue to remind people to know what you're, what you're allowing people to do. And my last message is if you really are in a, a strong investigative capacity or governmental capacity, there is some kind of conversation about having a phone that you use just for work and a phone that you use that you don't crop, uh, that you use for personal use. Similar to what we talk about computers, I do have multiple phones personally. Um, it, while that can be cumbersome sometimes, I know that um, my confidential things are separate than my social media things, and it, it does allow a peace of mind. And with that, I will turn it back over to Tony and Reed. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tom, and thank you so much, Tony. Great insights. Always, always much appreciated. Um, and it really was an enjoyable time in Cleveland. And I know, Tony, you and I got to look at some of the uh, the pretty neat displays they had on guitars by certain artists and uh, as they explained how they developed unique techniques in, in guitar playing over the years. So I want to thank uh, again, everybody, Diego Rodriguez, our producer, most of all, you all, our listeners, um, please, we always want your feedback, ideas. Um, if you have guest ideas, questions, comments, they're always welcome at operations at lpresearch.org. We'll keep you posted. Um, a lot of interesting things coming out. And by the way, you just heard Tony a few moments ago, ago talking about the technology play. We've got now uh, some new models being deployed inside in the interior space. We've also got LiDAR being installed inside in addition to uh, some other technologies, some AI technologies uh, leveraging uh, CPUs, but mostly the GPUs from NVIDIA. Um, but we've got also a lot of AI plays. And bear in mind, again, our sensors are visual in the form of cameras, uh, uh, infrared cameras, LIDAR, two types of ground surveillance radar, thermal radar. So there's a lot going on in that space. But we've also got microphones and with Skyla and others joining the LPRC, deploying those models inside and out. The, the amount of aural signatures that they can pick up, again, different types of gunshots, certainly direction finding of those we want to leverage and we are integrate those with other sensors so that we can look online during the the journey to harm that we can see them as they're approaching our parking lot entering moving through all the way up through the front door interior space up to that asset that human that money that merchandise and uh so integrating all those sensors making better sense of them knowing earlier and better what's going on coming up with better and better 
prevention and protective solution sets or what the key are, which, which is what we'll be talking about on the next episode of Crime Science Podcast. So everybody stay safe, stay in touch. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast, presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 